This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast. Just finished a series in San Diego right before the All-Star break, the last series of the first half of the season. Did not win the series. Didn't win the series, unfortunate. But we have some stuff to talk about here, of course. Kodai Sanga, Pete Alonso heading out to Seattle for the All-Star game, the Home Run Derby, the series against the Padres. Lots of things to talk about. MLB Draft is currently happening while we were recording this. So there's a lot going on here. We'll talk about everything with you guys as always. If you're enjoying what you're seeing, listening, all that good stuff, make sure you follow us on our social media at MetsDup, M-E-T-S-D-U-P on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you're looking for the YouTube version of this, go subscribe to the New York Mets YouTube channel. That's where you'll be able to find it. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it is, drop us a rating, drop us a review, download and subscribe. James, still out in Vegas, Sin City. How are we feeling? How how has your Vegas experience been? Vegas experience was a lot. This is the first time in Vegas. Also, I just wanted to quickly apologize to the listeners. I'm staying at a hotel in Vegas that has might be maybe the worst Wi-Fi in the state of Nevada and uh, Nevada, 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 whatever. Nevada. Which I have to go for working hard and cleaning it up a little bit. But recording this one on my phone because the internet is so bad. So we're just we're using data here, and you guys can see the angle is probably a little bit different. But we're doing what we can for the listeners. But Vegas is crazy. This was a this was a kind of nuts Vegas weekend because they had the NBA Summer League really getting hot and they had a huge UFC fight last night. So I've been seeing like professional athletes every which way. I got mentioned to you guys, TJ Stroud, Garrett Wilson on the way in. Like the last couple of nights at the casinos, the clubs, I've seen Zach Levine, Mikhail Bridges, Jason Tatum, Chet Holmgren. This Wait, you saw Zach sport. Levine? Yes. And he went to Seattle. Would... Right to... Yes. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I know. I saw him. We saw him Friday evening, Friday late night or Saturday early, one of those two. And then craziest one, got major starstruck moment. Greg Popovich. Wow. Yeah. Pop. Huge one. That's but crazy. Yeah. As I've never been in a city like this that has such like a density of celebrities and stars. Like, it, like as we like, we live in New York. There's 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 people walking among us all the time. Like visit California and stuff. But like Vegas, there's not that many other places to go. Like you are, everyone's here. Like everyone's mixed mosh together. It's complete. Like everyone's around each other, and that's it. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm a little jealous. Vegas is uh, Vegas is a fun place. I, I'm, I'm due to go to Vegas. I've still never been there as a 21-year-old, and it looks like so much fun. So I'm jealous. Maybe we'll make maybe we'll make a Mets up boys trip out to Vegas in the offseason or something like that. We'll see how it goes. But let's go ahead, and before we talk about the series, just talk about the little bit of the All-Star festivities going on. Of course, when you guys are listening to us on Monday, the Home Run Derby will be going on. Pete Alonzo comes in as the number two seed because it goes by current home runs uh, in the season. He comes at the number two seed with a first-round matchup against J-Rod, Julio Rodriguez, runner-up last year. Very, very good player. I mean, what do you, what do you think about Pete's odds in the home run derby this uh, year, James? I think that um, the way they kind of organized the bracket is a little bit ridiculous because it looks like basically the four favorites are on one side of the bracket, and then the other side of the bracket is like, I don't know what we're going to get out of these guys. It's Pete, it's J-Rod, and then it's, um, it's Vlad and Robert on that Mookie. one side. Mookie. Mookie. Yeah, and then the other side's Adley, Robert, Adelise, and uh, who's the eighth person? You got this. Uh, the Adelise and Randy Rosarena. Rosarena, yeah, that's it. So just the Pete-Julio first-round matchup, is like that's basically feels like kind of like semifinals-esque. 
and we saw those two go head to head last year. And I don't know. I mean, we see we see Pete dominate home runs derbies in the past. Like he seems very locked in for it, very ready for it. Going to could be the second player ever to win three times. I I, I still like I say I don't like Pete's odds. I love Pete's odds, but it's definitely he definitely got a bad bad draw that first round. Yeah, and especially because if he wins and goes to the next round, he might be going up against Vlad Guerrero Jr., who we know he had that like amazing home run derby final in 2019 versus Vladdy in Cleveland. Like the, the the path is going to be very very difficult. But Pete is one of the best home run derby competitors of all time. I believe he also has the best odds if you are uh, looking at that kind of stuff. So Pete in the home run derby, I think he should have a good chance. He's got a new pitcher this time too. He apparently made a promise to a childhood friend, manager, coach kind of thing, and the guy called him. I was like, hey. You promised me. And Pete's like, all right, let's do it. Send you to Seattle. Let's see how he does. I'm, I'm rooting for Pete. We need a win. It'd be nice to see Pete, like you said, join Ken Griffey in Seattle and be the third or the second person to ever win three home run derbies. Also, correct me if I'm wrong here, but Pete and Pete's the two seed and Robert's the one seed, right? Yes. And they have the, the, the same amount of home runs. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the tiebreaker is. Maybe it's because it's an American League ballpark and he's in the American League. I don't know. Yeah, because I think Pete probably has less played appearances than Robert as well. Like that, the difference between the two seed and the one seed in this tournament like is is pretty huge right now. That's that's a shame. Although, we, so, don't don't count out Adley. I know everybody's counting out Adley. Nobody thinks he's going to be able to do it. Don't count him out. He's a Pacific Northwest guy. He's back home. That could be big for him, getting those home hometown vibes a little bit. It's so bizarre having a catcher in the Omer Derby. Like that's the craziest thing. Like I don't even recall ever a catcher making it far, at least in our lifetimes. No, I think it's it's been it's been a minute, and being a lefty, I think is like John saying in the chat, a little bit of a tough uh, tough thing in Seattle. It's not it's not great there, but we'll see how it goes. Like you said, wishing the best for Pete, hoping he wins it out there. He's also going to be in the All Star game, which should be Tuesday, along with Kodai Senga, who got announced uh, earlier this week as a first time All Star, filling in as a replacement for guys who just cannot be in it because they pitched this weekend. So shout out to Kodai Senga. Super, super excited for him. We talked about it in the last episode, how good he has been this season. I think he's top 10 in the National League, or maybe even baseball, and ERA among starting pitchers, very much deserving, quietly, to be on the All-Star team. Yeah, honestly, like, shame on us for going through Kodai's season and all his amazing stats and how good he has been, especially compared to other pitchers in the National League. Literally, last episode, that was 36 hours before he was needed for the All-Star team, and neither of us, like, putting the connection together in our brains. Like, oh, Kodai Sanga should go and be an All-Star, but... No, incredibly deserving. Coming off his best start of the year, I feel like that always helps as well. Just a rookie being named to the All Star team. We know, of course, it's a little different him being a rookie, but it's 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 amazing. Like it's such a great accolade for a guy as he transitions to a new new team, new city, new country, like new new game of baseball. Basically, he's being played, and he's just excelled so much so quickly. No, he's been awesome, and it gave us good vibes going into the series with the Padres. Game one, of course, Verlander versus Darvish. We got to see our arch nemesis on the mound because every time we seemingly face you, Darvish, he just absolutely shoves. This game was interesting. It started off a little bit, uh, a little rocky there with a two-one lead for the Padres after the first, but Verlander ended up like kind of just settling in and doing that Justin Verlander thing, where it's like, oh, he's, he's a really good pitcher, guy who won the Cy Young last year. It's it was funny because going into this game, you're like, all right, Verlander Darvish, like this is gonna be like you get ready for a classic pitchers duel, like really dig in for one. It's gonna be tough to get a run, and then it was two two one after the first inning. I think it was like three three after it was the uh, the four to the fifth. That's a Lindor home run. But Verlander did have it was it was tough for him. those first three innings. That was that was a slog. That was really he labored through that. But then he didn't allow a hit after the third inning and got through six and only gave up two runs. Like that's really good, but. Then you watch Verlander start after start this year. You do feel like that fastball is still lacking that oomph that we're used to seeing Justin Verlander have over the course of his career. 
Manny Machado and Trent Grisham's RBI doubles both came off of Verlander's fastball. It just got two whiffs on 17 swings again. And I kind of want to keep contextualizing like how much different Verlander's fastball in the strike zone is this year compared to last year's. I'm talking about his zone contact rate a lot on the show, on Verlander fastballs. It was 92% by the Padres on Friday evening. That means 92% of the fastballs that they swung at in the zone, they hit against Justin Verlander. It's a really high number. That's up to 90% on the season for it was 87% last year, just to compare just differently to talk about a different pitcher from a different era. That was 74% in 2019 when that fastball was okay. still really high, high of his powers. And that's 90% Verlander, like I said before, and league average in that is 84%. So right now, Justin Verlander, just based on that context, has a more hittable fastball in the zone than a lot of other pitchers, than, than league average, which it, that, that's something that he's leaned on forever. We've seen him, though, make a lot of good adjustments this year, throwing more sliders, more curveballs. He really leaned on both of those pitches Friday night. They really helped him get through those last few innings. Because, again, he's just not getting swings and misses in that fastball. And this was another start where I think Justin Verlander might have started to make a bit of an adjustment with this new fastball now, where he had more arm side run on that pitch than any start he's had, that, on that fastball than any other start he's had this hmm. year so far. And arm side run is like basically when I'm throwing the pitch, it's going like away from where like the, my natural flow of my arm is going to go towards the arm side. So if I'm yes. a right-handed pitcher and I'm throwing a ball with arm side run and it starts down the middle, it will end up a little bit on, it'll start a little inside to a right-handed, yes, inside to a right-handed batter, away from a left-handed batter. That's it. And he's been getting a little bit more, a little bit more his last few starts. And I kind of looked at the heat maps of where he was throwing his fastball in this start. And a lot of it more was low and away, especially to right-handed batters. Very often, Justin Verlander had like really just like throwing everything high, high, high fastball because that's that's the recipe. That's how his fastball yeah. had the most life and got the most swings and misses. But didn't really challenge as many people up in the zone to start, especially relative to again his career and his first couple months this season. So maybe that's the adjustment that Justin Verlander's making: get more of that run on it, not going to get the carry and the hop on it, and try and get some more weak contact edge called strikes. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, you could see those adjustments for sure in the game. And I saw something on Twitter earlier today about how sliders are being hit more often than they have been recently, like for better success rates as well. And it felt like Kurt Verlander was really going to that curveball a lot, and it was very effective in this game, which is just something that you see from a veteran pitcher, finding what's working, finding what's not, making those adjustments mid-game. And like you said, it may not have been his best start by any means, but he did enough to keep us very much in this game, which is exactly what we needed because the bats the bats were swinging it well in this one. It was, it was a fun game to watch. It was fun to watch Mets baseball this past week. It was, but it was also like it was in, it was in sections, like, we got to 3-3 after Lindor Homer, Vogelback single. Then it sat 3-3 for a really long time. Remember yeah. Adam Alfino got a huge uh, out of Fernando Tatis in the eighth inning after Soto hit the double. Then we, we challenged in the ninth low of the bases, couldn't, couldn't break through. And then got to finally 10th inning after like an hour and a half of no runs being scored. Just completely broke it up. Beautiful rally. Hard of the order. Jeff had a double. Alvarez hit a single. Then Lindor got the last one in. It was, it was a very good game for, yeah, in the middle of a very good week for the Franciscos. Yeah, I mean, talking about the Franciscos again, let's talk about Francisco Lindor because I know we were bringing up the all-star thing. This is going to be the last time we get to really just moan and groan about it. But the fact that Francisco Lindor is not an all-star is absolute poppycock. It's crazy. I mean, you look at the guy's numbers this year and he's just casually just really good again. Like he had a little bit of a slow start. We know that. But since that slow start and specifically since, you know, some stuff had been going on since that Cardinals game, Francisco Lindor has just been absolutely on fire. The guy has been crushing it. He's got his OPS all the way up to 800. He keeps getting hits, extra base hits, getting on base more, raising that average. He's just the guy that that you'll want. Again, say it all the time. Take away the batting average number, and if you just look at the counting numbers, you'd be like, oh, 
Francisco Lindor has 18, 19 home runs and 60 RBIs at the All-Star break with 13 stolen bases. Yep, that's that's my $300 million shortstop right there. That's incredible pace. And he's got the WRC Plus back to around 120, which is where he sat for a lot of last year. Everything's just ticking up. Also, you look at Francisco Lindor. Get, last time we're going to moan and groan about this, but it's worth some more moaning and groaning. In terms yes. of National League ranks, he leads all National League shortstops in doubles. He leads all National League shortstops in home runs by three. He leads all National League shortstops in RBIs by 14. 14 Whoa. more RBIs than any other shortstop in the National League. Yeah, he has a 24 more RBIs than Dansby Swanson going into the All-Star break, who made the All-Star team. So he has a full Brandon Crawford amount of RBIs more than Dansby Swanson <laughs> in the All-Star break. And again, not even knows the most, the most prolific base stealer ever. Third in that third of all National League shortstops in stolen bases. And I just want to check OPS, last one. Oh, first in all at OPS from qualified shortstops in National League as well. It's <laughs> now, like I get left off. Heading into the All-Star game, it's going to be 50 points higher than Tansby Swanson. Oh, like I get left off. How'd they pick Perdomo over him even when they had the opportunity to make it right? I don't understand. Should have been an All-Star, absolutely robbed. Francisco Alvarez, too, if it wasn't for the catching in the National League being so loaded with Sean Murphy and Will Smith, this guy also has legitimate beef to be a Major League All-Star. In the rookie, I mean, the year that he's having, 17 homers, 35 RBIs, he's got the average up to 238, and the OPS at 809. I mean, we talk about it day after day. He got another home run in game two. He's just so, so good. El Troll, because that's the nickname we're rocking. We're calling him El Troll. That is the nickname he likes. That is the one he has on his catcher's equipment. El Troll. Remember, those of you at home know why we don't call him the other one. Call him El Troll. He's just so good. Four hits in this game on four hard hit balls. And it was just like, he, and we talked about this when he was struggling when he first came up, where it's like you can just kind of feel when Francisco was like feeling himself based on his selectivity of pitches. Like, he's not just like never, the vibe. Yeah, because he is so aggressive. But when he has the like, he's really commanding the strike zone, commanding the plate, like kind of owning the batter's box. You can see the difference in the confidence levels when he is hitting like that and just completely. It's like, honestly, I'd love to, like, talk to him about this because I feel like part of it, I remember we interviewed him way back when. It was about, like, his own pitch recognition as a hitter that he takes from what he does behind the play as a catcher and just understanding sequencing, trying to kind of get ahead of the pitcher, what they're going to throw next, and just feasting on the mistakes. Like, it's at 21 years old still, because remember, guys, he's 21 years old. He's the youngest, he's the youngest everyday catcher in Major League Baseball in 30 years, just to get, get put that out there every single episode. It's, it's, it's like, scary to see what the potential he has. Yeah, he's, he's a freak. He also, after game two, which I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but after game two, it's now second uh, among 21-year-old catchers or younger for home runs in a season. Only got to catch Johnny Bench, and he's on pretty good pace. I think he might pass him based on how he's been swinging the bat lately. So super excited to see that those guys are playing well. Unfortunately, though, that would be the last one of the series. The win streak ended at six. Truthfully, how nervous were you getting that we were going to have to eat a, a full pizza? I wasn't nervous at all. I was super excited for I was gonna be like, you know, well, what? I was excited. Yeah, I was just nervous. Yeah. I didn't care. I don't care. I like, well, what's the worst that can happen? I guess I'm gonna get I'm out of commission for two or three days. That would have sucked. It would have been awful, but well, it's okay. It happens. Again, for a 10 game win streak, I'll put it down again. The Mets do a 10 game win streak coming out of the break. I will do a pizza again. You don't have to go in for it. You don't have to do it. But the Mets ever win 10 games in a row, I'll break the glue in the tolerance and I will eat pizza. I'll definitely do something else, but I think I might like back away from dairy. Just Crohn's disease. I'm doing so well. Like we're knocking on wood over here. I don't. I don't want to really get a flare up going here. And the dairy might be doing that. The doctors were calling me. The doctors were listening. They're like, Mark, please don't eat dairy, please. Like you've been doing so well. The listeners are like, oh, most of the doctors. Actually, Mark's mom was really scared. He was gonna have to eat dairy. <laughs> she was very nervous for him. She didn't want his stomach to hurt. Well, but winning streak would end on Saturday night. Also, just talk a little more about Vegas. I, I watched this game from the stadium swim at Circa. Ooh. 
it was like I, I I can't even comprehend how cool of an experience this was. Didn't we what? weirdly meet the guy who like ran that like yeah. one night? Where where were we out? I don't even remember. Was that in Arizona? It might have been Miami. Maybe but, I don't know. Yeah, I, we we yeah, met the guy who like runs it, but yeah, did you talk to him? Did you meet him or no? No, it's just like you have like twelve massive screens on the on the roof of a hotel in Las Vegas inside of a pool like with a bar, and it's like. We sat there for seven hours. I would, and eventually, because all the baseball ended late when the UFC main card came on, so the Mets game was the only thing they were playing besides UFC. They had two TVs dedicated to the Mets, flagging <laughs> big UFC in the middle. And it was like, my friends were like, this is like a dream come true. I was like, I don't even like UFC. And I got the Mets on two massive screens outdoors. This is a dream come true. But that was cool. And it's just, and it had a nice view, getting a nice tan, watching Blake Snell just completely run through the mess. The guy's been. A pure buzzsaw this summer. And he does this like for three months a year, basically. And you just kind of hope you find him on the outsides of it, not on the inside of it. Because when he's on the inside of it, he's literally one of the best players in baseball. Mets only got one hit against Blake Snell at six innings. Also struck him out 11 times versus only three walks. That one hit was a total worm burner by Nimmo. He just hit it hard, but it was really just like all that could possibly be as a single. Usually the thing that kind of holds Blake Snell back is kind of navigating his pitch mix around like kind of not having the best control for like guys who could be considered eight at ace like potential sometimes but it's seven whiffs for the mess of the changeup said uh, on saturday night most he's had to game on that pitch all year and i think a big reason for that is because he sat 97 miles an hour with his fastball which is the highest average fastball velocity he's had any start this year and that is broken from his last start so his last two starts now blake's now keeps getting higher and higher average velocities he's He's freaky. Like, he, he gets, like, such a weird rap because I feel like the guy he is, like, just even how he looks and sounds and some of the sound bites he's put out there. But, like, the fact that he has those two breaking balls, the curveball and the slide that go on different planes, and the changeup that has, like, when his fastball's working like this, like a 12, 13-mile-an-hour difference because he does throw 97 miles an hour from the left side with crazy extension. It's like, it, if, if he was just, like, not Blake Snell, like, we'd look at Blake Snell every single year like a guy who's, like, next up to be one of the next pitchers in baseball. And Dude he's is just, just like casually in the Cy Young conversation this year, like very casually, like one of the three best options right now. He like could really be the favorite another two weeks because every single start he goes out and does this. He was crushed by the Boston Red Sox on May nineteenth of this year, and it was one of these all uh, Blake Snell not doing it again. ZRA was like almost five at the time, six weeks into the season. Since then, he's given up four earned runs in fifty three innings, which is good for a zero point six eight ERA and a forty one percent strikeout rate over fifty over fifty three innings. Yeah, no, it's pretty sick. I mean, like, and like you said, yes, the offense like didn't hit, but you like you ran into a buzzsaw, like you said, like Blake Snell right now over the last sixty innings or whatever it is, fifty three is the best pitcher in all of baseball. So it's like, what exactly are you going to do? Like, yes, we want to score. Yes, we want more runs. We want to try and win. But like, it's it, it wasn't an easy. It wasn't like this is bad Blake Snell. Yeah, but also flip it around. Like David Peterson, super up for the task. Like on our side, I guess. yes, hundred percent. Yeah. He like toe to toe, like two 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 crafty lefties working against each other. David versus Blake, and he like he, he really keeps like doing these little things to like kind of push forward, the push forward, the push forward, and be more effective. He was just a full kitchen sink guy Saturday night. Threw all five of his pitches at least eleven percent of the time, and found ten total whiffs on it, and kept the Padres really at bay basically the entire game. Like similar to what happened with Scherzer on um Ed Verlander, it was a bad start, and then just really settled in and got good. Ten total whiffs were really nice and. Six of those 10 came on his slider and his curveball, which were weirdly his two fewest throw pitches. So I think there is, again, there's always a still going to be a little bit of a tinker here and maybe push those up and a couple less fastballs and sinkers and just use them all. Just completely use the whole banana peel, get your pitches moving everywhere. Something to work with. Another good step in the right direction, Peterson. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like he was catching a lot of heat early on Twitter. Like, he gave up that that kind of fluke three-run home run to Matt Batten, which, like, was a good pitch. The guy, like, uh, kind of just, like, lunged at it, kind of flicked his wrist, and it went out to left field. But besides, like, that one pitch, and the guys that got on before him all got on with little fluky hits, too. It was like, Peterson yeah. was catching a lot of flack for absolutely no reason. He pitched a very, very solid game. We say this all the time. Gave us an opportunity to win against someone who was pitching like an ace. So three runs over the the five innings or five innings or whatever that he threw, like very, very, like you said, something to work on. Strong start from Peterson. I think he uh, is really improved upon what we saw from the beginning of the year. Give a little shout out to John's guy here. Grant Hartwig had looked good as well going into game two, staying hot on the mound. The Alvarez home run, which is so funny. As soon as Blake Snell came out of the game, they put in Luis Garcia. Bang, home run immediately. Gave us some life, but... The Padres bullpen shut us down. Hader was disgusting in the ninth inning. When that guy's on, it's impossible. Uh, and that's just kind of the way it was. You lose. The win streak is over. But you have a chance to win the series going into game three. We didn't do it. We didn't do it. I mean, Scherzer was inconsistent. He looked good. He looked bad. He looked good. He looked bad. It was a little bit all over the place. No, it was Jekyll and Hyde. Scherzer, that's how it's been for the last year. I was I was explaining to one of my friends who I was with this morning. A lot of, like some of this crew are big baseball guys, especially my boy Ross, but a lot of them really aren't huge baseball guys. So they're like, oh. I don't pay attention to baseball. Like, tell me what has happened to Max Scherzer. And I'm like, well, like, the big thing has happened to Max Scherzer where it's been just, like, up and down season. Because I explained the fact that, like, went through spring training, made a start, got hurt. Rehab, came back, made a start, got suspended. And that took us to the middle of May. So Max Scherzer is still kind of feel like, I know it is July, so it's, like, not really, like, mid-early season anymore. But for him, it's still, like, he's played basically half of it. So it's up and down. And, like, there was a lot of good in this start again. Like, the whiffs, like, were good. His fastball but had a lot more life again. Seven whiffs with that pitch and four with the curveball. 15 was overall for seven strikeouts and five innings, which is a good number, especially for a Padres team. Doesn't really strike out a ton, but but the slider still just not really like perfect. He can't locate it exactly how we're used to doing it. Machado rushed one in the first inning that hung right over the middle of the plate, and man, Machado hit it out and looked like he was very happy to do it. And then he just he kicked. <laughs> he kept falling it in between like a little too far off the plate and then getting a little bit too much plate. So it's either getting fouled off or put in play, or they just weren't offering at it. And it's that kind of in between. It's that like inch and a half in either direction, which is like that's just a little bit where that pitch is missing right now. Why he's just be get, being this guy who is maybe right now like 10, 15 percent better than league average rather than the guy we saw last year who was a Cy Young. No, yeah, 100 percent. Like it's it's unfortunate we would would have preferred him to pitch better, obviously, but the bats also didn't really show up for this one. Uh, just Joe Musgrove had his way with us again. I mean. There's no, there's no way around it. Yeah, I mean, if you're watching the YouTube video, you might see a little something here or there. But there's just like, he didn't score. He didn't score. It was off to a weird start, too. There was like that weird fly ball in foul territory in the first inning where Brett Beatty looked like he caught the ball, but the umpire called that it hit the net. And then when you challenge it, you can't really tell if it does or doesn't hit the net because it might have hit it too high up to where a camera physically isn't. So you just can't overturn it. And then the next pitcher, two pitches later... Line drive down the left field. Tommy Pham hurts his groin on a throw, trying to throw it back into the field. He comes out of the game. Mark Canna comes in. By the way, Mark Canna continues to play good baseball. Another double with two RBIs. Get this guy in the lineup more often. But, yeah, it was just like, it's unfortunate. At least we're going into the all-star break here, so there's going to be an extended period of rest for a guy like Tommy Pham to get back. Feels like just a good little break for the Mets in general. Get their mind back, get going, get ready for a hot second half, hopefully. Because, of course, there's still a lot of work to do. There's still a lot of ground to make up. Got to be fighting for the wild card right now is the realistic or the most realistic way to get into the playoffs. Just got to play better baseball in the second half. I think it's that simple. Finish the second half, I think strong, relatively speaking, like we said this last week, was good. This was good Mets baseball. This is what we'd expect from the team 
all season long. You're going to lose a couple games here and there, especially like the Blake Snell one. But overall, I think playing better baseball going into the All-Star break, just continue on it in the second half. Yeah, that's it. Also, Snell's been really taking the headlines, but Joe Musgrove also over his last eight starts has an ERA right hovering around two. He's been lights out yeah. also after a bad like first month of a season that was even a month and a half late because he had that broken toe, I think, from a, a weightlifting accident in spring training. Yes. And then we did have like chances to score against there, though. Like second I inning, know. two men on, Alvarez sharply hit ball, double play. And then we had bases loaded in the fourth, and DJ Stewart, Alvarez, ball strike out, top pitches from Blake Snell. Like you had your opportunities, and it's just about like getting that timely hit, getting that timely hit. And that's the big difference to this team. Like well, for most of this week, though, they were getting that hit, and that was a nice place to be. But you, you, got, you can kind of see like, it is kind of became like a microcosm for the first half, just the way that this week ended. Because like you came in so yeah. hot. You won that huge game Friday night with Verlander on the bump off Darvish, who's been like a boogeyman to the match. You're like, all right, let's split against these two sub-pitchers. You're still sure on Sunday. Win both series of the year against the Padres, and you go in the second half feeling really good. Now you just go in the second half still feeling kind of eh, kind of okay. Kind of still like that little bit of disappointment that creeps back in. And, you know, six teams under 500, 16 behind the Phillies, who I think have that wild that last wild card spot right now. Like, it's not possible. It's not even close to impossible. It's no, like you just yeah. got you just gotta play a lot of good baseball. And this team is hundred percent. Yeah, no, gotta start winning more games than you lose. You keep doing that, keep winning series as we go throughout the second half. The Mets will be able to find themselves in a much better place competing for a wild card card spot, which is totally in the realm of possibility. But uh yeah, I mean this is a weird episode because of course we have nothing to preview. We do have something to preview. I lied because estimate for the first half is over james you will be a full kit i won't say the word because we don't want yeah. Vito to have to bleep anything but james is going full jersey cleats hat eye black you're wearing eye black you're wearing eye black you choke you have to wear eye black i don't want to wear eye black i have to wear eye black why is that the sticking for i'm gonna be click clacking with metal cleats why do i have to wear eye black but yeah that was because you gotta embrace it for me i lost six in a row to end the first half here i literally need to win one to force a tie and i know any Anytime it's physical or mental competitions, you guys saw the spring training. Like, I will defeat Mark in that. So, just losing outright, though, is a real, real, real travesty. I know John's grinning behind the camera right now. He's so happy. That's all he wants. But, yeah, I'm going to have to wear a full kit. We'll throw a full kit for a jersey. Hopefully, get some help with that. And I don't know. We'll let you guys know when that's happening. Wait, is it going to be – are you going to be wearing a Shiano jersey? Because I think that's a little more – a little more embarrassing too. Is it going to be a Shiano jersey or is it going to be like a player jersey? I don't really want to. I think a player's bad too. I think they're both pretty bad. I don't know. I'll defer to you guys. I have the one, the pinstripe one from we recorded that first um yes last year. It says James on the back. So you guys can just get me some pinstripe pants. Get some. Get me some blue socks. Actually, no socks. I'm gonna wear low pants. I'm not wearing. No, you gotta wear the socks high. If you're not doing the eye black, you're wearing high socks. <laughs> All right, I'll do eye black then and keep my socks low. <laughs> Okay, there you I go. Thought, That's fine. I socks around the ballpark would be ridiculous. I don't know if I can handle that. I mean, maybe we'll see. We'll see how much fun I'm willing to have that day. But yeah, I'm gonna be full kit some at a, at a Sunday game. I don't know, probably sometime in August. I'm guessing August, maybe September. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll see what the vibes are. Otherwise, I think that's pretty much it. We're going to have a second half preview for you guys out later this week. So keep an eye out for that because uh, that'll be a lot of fun. We'll talk about a lot of stuff. Talk about the MLB draft as well because it's currently happening as we go. And the Mets have the 32nd overall pick. So we'll talk about that. Otherwise, I think that's it. Let's wrap it up here. Make sure you guys are following us on all our social media at MetsUp on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Subscribe to the New York Mets YouTube channel for the video version of this and download, subscribe, review, rate our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, whatever it is you listen on. Follow James on Twitter at James underscore Shiano. And me, Giraffe Neck Mark with a C. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. And we will catch you after the All-Star game for a second half preview of the New York Mets. Peace out. Peace out.
Peace out. See you guys next time.